Hello and welcome. This is another Books of the Year podcast, your favourite podcast, I think. I think we've done a little survey. Yes, we have. Everyone uh, people, gives us five stars. That's good. People who download and they have all told us they might have been lying to our face. <laughs> yeah. They said this is their favourite podcast. Did you see President Obama's summer reading list? I did see that, and did I you saw see a that TikTok yes. by Simon Mayo. Is I didn't see that on the list. I, absolute disgrace. Because it is out in paperback, and so I yeah. thought maybe there was maybe Obama would have. Yeah, been waiting right on top of that. Yeah, slightly disappointing. Yeah, that he's not quite got up to that. I, I reckon holding it back for next year. He said, "No, nah, we'll wait, wait for the paperback to come out in the states. Yes, and then it'll be on right. that list." Anyway, essay Crosby's "All the Sinners Bleed," one of our favourite yeah. books of the year. That is definitely on there. Yeah, TikTok. Yeah, so. we were all over that before Obama was on it. Let's he's, put it that way. He's just a bandwagon <laughs> jumper. <laughs> yes, quite right. Anyway, the president's uh, list usually signals the fact that summer is here and he's off on his holidays. Uh, and so are most of the rest of us. To celebrate that, we've got a blockbuster run of guests for you over the next few months. Shortly going to be joined by international best-selling novelist Lisa Jewell. It's going to be telling us about her new thriller, None of This is True. Then in a couple of weeks' time, we'll be welcoming award-winning crime writer Steve Kavanagh to tell us about his latest Kill for Me kill for you and if that wasn't enough we're going to be uh, setting out on our summer holidays with the award-winning best-selling novelist sebastian folks who'll be talking about his new contemporary novel the seventh son uh, anyway, so that's quite a lot going on. Yeah, there is. Uh, so let's let's get to um, correspondence. Uh, an email from Ben. Hi, Simon and Matt. Hi. Uh, hi. Uh, as a fan of the podcast, I really like that the episodes have been made more regular of late. Uh, you're welcome. Though it does mean that my to-be-read pile has increased substantially. I enjoyed your recent chat with TJ Newman. Would love to hear more about how she navigated the publishing industry as a complete newcomer. During that episode, though, you wondered aloud if any sensible person would possibly buy a book about a plane crash from an airport bookshop. Well, I feel seen, oh, says, yeah. says Ben. I bought TJ's first book, Falling, uh, which is about a hijacked airliner, from the WH Smith bookshop in Manchester Airport before flying out to Porto last May. And I sent a photo of the synopsis to my mum, who was convinced that I was going to be arrested because taking yes. such a book on a plane would be seen as inherently suspicious behaviour. Anyway, it was a great book, and I'm looking forward to reading her new one. Keep up the good work, says Ben Rigby. I mean, that's still a crazy thing to do. It is. I mean... Because the cover of that book also has a plane crashing to Going the down. They're all going down. Come on. Um, this from Michelle's big Kate Moss fan. I was pleased to hear Kate uh, on the pod. Consistently brilliant writer. whose attention to detail is second to none. I downloaded the ghost ship to be my Kindle ready. To be my Kindle. To my Kindle. Comma. comma. Said there isn't a comma. <laughs> Need an editor. Ready for my holiday. But I couldn't wait, so I have already nearly finished it. It is so good. So now she's going to need something else to go on holiday with. Uh, and this from the Beach Coma on Instagram. That's Pick Any Page, by the way. At uh, Pick Any Page. Are we yeah. on threads yet? Apparently, we haven't worked out. It was quite, it's, it's, it's quite easy. Straightforward. Very straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and uh, we're on Instagram. So if you're on Instagram, going on threads is like the easiest thing in the world. Dead easy. So by the time this goes out, maybe we'll actually be on we threads. We will be on threads. So, yes, look for us on Instagram or threads. <laughs> at pick any page. No I pressure. I listened to you talking to Kate Moss whilst I took the dog out. The book sounds fascinating. I love pirate stories. We'll be downloading for a long flight I have coming up. 
so re- remind us, Matt, how can people get in touch? Well, if you want to get in touch, uh, email at any time. Uh, the address is booksoftheyear at yahoo.com. Uh, of course, we are on Twitter at books of the year we are also as we've explained on instagram and threads and threads and pick any page um and uh yes those are the ways of getting in contact with us who is our fabulous guest coming up here we go lisa jewel time Yes, and I'm delighted to say Lisa Jewell uh, is with us. Her new book is called None of This is True. Lisa, hello, how are you? I'm good. Very good. Thank you for having me. Very nice to see you. Lisa only came five minutes ago. We've already had two very interesting conversations. One about instant coffee and the other about the way you address people. So I just want to, before we describe the, I would just be interested to know what other people think about this. Yes. Okay. So first, how do we get onto the, I can't remember. I can't remember. Talking, basically men talking, essentially it's men talking to women. Correct, yeah. And using some kind of term of affection or, I mean, if that's how it would be perceived. So, all right, love, hello, darling. Generalised term of affection. Yes, doc, all that kind of stuff. And who can get away with it and who can't get away with it. Because Matt and I would never, ever say, for example, to you when you came in, Nice to see you, love. Yeah. Wouldn't do that. because, no. And you wouldn't expect us to say that. I would have been very taken aback, yes. So if, <laughs> if you were, so let's just put, relate this to a book that you're writing. Yeah. Who would who would use that? Well, I've actually just, the book that I finished writing after, I've, after this one, None of This Is True, I do have my character going to a pub in um, the wilds of the Essex countryside and being called Lovely by the barmaid and she's American so she's very taken aback that she's walked into this pub in the countryside and said what what can I get you lovely um okay so but but so woman to woman is slightly different I yeah. think well me. no if I walked into a pub in the Essex countryside as, a, as an English woman I would not be taken aback by a man a male bartender saying what can I get you lovely or sweetheart or darling or even angel um <laughs> What is, There's what? no end to what I would feel comfortable being called by okay. a bartender in in, right. in in the countryside, but I can imagine from an American's point of view that would be quite alarming. But if I had greeted you by saying it would have been bizarre, right, darling, I'd have just thought, <laughs> "Whoa, Simon Mayo is not what I was expecting him to be." <laughs> anyway, I just I think it's quite interesting as to what's acceptable and what isn't. Yes, you know? and between who? Yes, yeah. and the other thing is that just to get this out of the way <clears throat> is that Lisa actually used a sentence I'd never heard before, which is? Was it the coffee one? Yeah. yeah. Um, you asked me what my morning coffee is, yeah. and I said it's instant coffee. I, I choose to have instant coffee. Yeah. It's, it's my preferred coffee, yes. And two heaps. Two heap teaspoons, two sweeteners, lots of frothy milk. Did you ever have camp coffee? My gran had oh, camp yeah. coffee in a bottle. It's liquid, with, isn't it? Yeah, liquid with coffee added, drops. And it says with added chicory. Yes, Never tasted it, but it looks. So, what are you doing to that coffee then? So it's in a little bottle. <laughs> it's it's in a it's in a bottle, and you pour some of it, and it's like a cordial, really, and then you add water. Oh, yeah. I see. Right. Okay. I think it was from harder times in the past. from harder times. <laughs> yes. Yeah, down on my grandmother. How dare you? You'll be calling a love. Nick. Anyway, Lisa's here because because uh, she's got a book out. Obviously, not to talk coffee. Um, 
Matt, describe the cover yes. that we're looking at here. Okay, so the cover shouts out Thriller, and what we've got uh, is a silhouette of two women on either side of the front cover, um, one of them walking away from the other, and then behind them is the uh, London skyline, or basically there's the shard and then the, the, the walkie-talkie. And then in big neon pink block capital letters the title none of this is true below that her lies could kill you and picked out in white lisa jewel and then below that the 10 million copy best-selling author as well as some nice things from jojo moyes and lucy foley at the top oh i've got something from Ginny mcallister and claire oh, douglas wow you've, you've got the advanced reading copy and okay. matt's got the finished the actual one, one. Yeah. so yeah. listen to what matt says yeah. don't listen that's what i'm saying um 21st book this is my 21st book, yes. And do you do you approach publication of your 21st book with the same sense of trepidation as all the others? Or do you think, excuse me, 10 million, thank you very much, do you yeah. know who I am? That counts for nothing. The 10 million copy thing counts for nothing. Every book stands on its own. Um, but no, it's not. It's, I don't get as nervous around publication these days purely because there's so much pre-publication build-up. So by the time the book's published, which it was on the 20th of July... Um, there's already like 1,300 reviews on Goodreads. Um, I've already, my, my PMs and my DMs and my inbox is full of messages from people who've already read it. So I've already had all that awful, that, that moment has already passed of like, have I written a dud? Is this the one? Is this the one that's going to break me as a writer and ruin my career? Um, so that moment's already passed and I've... Do you so, trust your intuition on that? What, whether I've written a good book or not? Yeah. You've... I'm sure have interviewed enough writers to know that no writer ever trusts their own intuition on that. You have to tell other people have to tell you that it's a good book. I don't think a, does a writer ever think they've no. written a good book or get, know they've written a good book. I bet you have days when you think that chapter is good. Yeah. What? No, not really. No. Okay. no, and and also you read you read your work so frequently while you're writing it, and and it's a different experience every time you read it. And sometimes you do a read through before you're about to send it to your editor, uh, or whatever, and you think actually this is quite good. And then the next time you have to read it through for whatever reason, you just think this is this is terrible. This is the worst thing I've ever written. So it's so objective and weird and in the moment and unpredictable how you feel about your own work. And it is literally only at the point where other people start telling you if it's good um, or not. That's not happened yet. Um, that you can okay. sort of breathe a sigh of relief. Matt has <laughs> mentioned the uh, the two women on the cover. So let's start with them. Yeah. Introduce us to the two central women in this story who are... Um, as you tell us, birthday twins. Yes, which was a kind of starting out premise for the book without me having any idea really what that was going to mean or how it was going to turn into, a, you know, a 350-page novel. Um, but yes, yeah, so the two women in the book, we've got Alex Summer, who is a, a successful podcaster, um, and she's out in her local gastro pub in Chichi. Queen's Park in North London celebrating her 45th birthday with a big group of friends and we've also got Josie Fair who's a slightly um, a more unassuming mousy character who lives in a similar area to, to Alex um, who is in the same gastro pub on the same night uh, celebrating her 45th birthday and there's this meeting between the two women in the toilets where they establish that they were born not only on the same day but in the same hospital and they're birthday twins um, and Josie goes home after this this chance meeting and Googles Alex because she's quite sort of intoxicated by the glamour of her um, and how different she is to her um, and discovers that she's a popular podcaster and then obsessively listens to every podcast that, that Alex has ever 
recorded and decides at the end of listening to all these podcasts that she would make a really good subject for one of Alex Summer's podcasts and uh, engineers a meeting on the street. An accidental bump just bumped into her meeting on the street to suggest that she should be the subject of a podcast and uh, yeah the reader will, will will very quickly know that this was a very poor decision when Alex says yes. Yeah. <laughs> we will realise it's a poor decision. Um, I'm interested as to why Alex is a podcaster. That's a good question. The reason why Alex is a podcaster... Because obviously we're very careful about who we invite. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Having read this book even more, even yeah. more yeah. careful. Well... Another inspiration for the book was an experience I had in 2021 where another writer contacted me to ask if he could shadow my writing processes for a year in order to write a book no. about about what exactly, <laughs> precisely no. and exactly, exactly that. Um, he appeared from nowhere, asked me this question, which was quite a big ask, which meant that there'd be a lot of personal you know, intrusion into areas of my life that people don't normally have access to. And of course, my gut went no. My head even went no. Um, but I just kept thinking about it and I kept talking to people about it. And eventually I decided that there'd be more good than harm could come out of this project. And so I said yes. Um, and I let this man into my life. And it all turned out perfectly fine and safe and he wasn't weird and nothing strange happened but it was that moment it's these little decisions you make um and that's what I wanted to focus on was this idea of what what if he had been the wrong person to let into my life and he had had you know dark motives for wanting to undertake this project um so that was a starting point and so originally Alex my podcaster was going to be a novelist and it was going to be a very similar take on what had happened to me that someone was going to ask to do a project with her and then i just thought I've already I've done novelists before I am a novelist I've had novelists in my books I thought let's just do something different and that's why she became a podcaster just a sort of sense of like shaking things up a bit and writing about something I hadn't written about before I cannot think of a book um Lisa that I've read that has been more engineered to get me to turn the page <laughs> than this one uh you the, the desperation to find out what's going on let's I mean we'll start with the the, the title none of this is true which means that even before you open the book, you know, right, I'm not going to trust what everyone yes. tells me in this. And certainly, Josie, I'm not going to be trusting everything, or indeed Alex, what they what they tell me on the page, I'm not always going to be believing. But I, I think, so I, I devoured the book and then got to your acknowledgements. And I think the, the friend that you'd had who'd been reading your book has said, I have no idea what's going on, but it's blank delicious. Yes. Which is exactly how I felt. I had no <laughs> idea. Literally with, you know, 10 pages to go, I'm still, I have no idea what's going on. And the, I, I just want you to talk a little about the, the, that skill of being able to write something where you are hold, you, you, you must have been desperate to include stuff and you thought, no, I'm going to hold that back because I know the reader is just going to want to flip 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 get get through some more oh yeah it probably yeah might read like that was all by design but it really really wasn't because i i'm one of those writers who writes without a plan um and i make it up as i go along really and, and particularly wow. with my dark characters um they really really pull me through um they they just turn up on the day with my fingers on the keyboard staring at the screen of my laptop and they just do things I wasn't expecting them to do and there's a scene very early on in the and I really I hadn't quite got I, I knew that this sort of Josie was creepy Alex had made a bad call by deciding to do this project with her but I hadn't worked out what all the dark stuff was going to be I knew that Josie had this husband who spent a lot of time sitting in his laptop in his window because I'd seen this guy in real life and I knew there was something dark going on in Josie's apartment there was somebody behind a closed door but I didn't know 
who it was, really didn't know who it was. Um, and I knew the only way I was going to get through was to, to write the story. And so I would turn up every day just waiting to see what Josie was going to do. And the first weird thing she does, this is quite early on in the book, so it's not a spoiler. She's in, as I currently am now, in a, in a recording studio. She's in Alex's recording studio, recording the first episode of this podcast that they're going to make together. And Alex has a very nice home recording studio that her rich husband bought for her. And she has an espresso machine in her uh-huh. in her posh little recording studio in her back garden. And Josie just picks up an espresso pod, puts it in her handbag. And next thing, she's home, opening her knicker drawer in her bedroom and shoving the espresso pod at the back of the knicker drawer. And that's it. And the minute she did that, I just thought, Oh my God! Who are you? What 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 is what is what is your plan here? What do you want? What's wrong with you, woman? You know you wrote this. <laughs> I know you're talking about it as though you're observing something. But that's else. kind of what it felt like. It's just every time she did something weird, I felt like I was observing somebody doing something that I hadn't been expecting them to do, and I felt as alarmed as I'm sure the reader will feel when they turn the pages and see her doing these tiny little things. But they all build up to this sense of just get this woman out of your life right now. Um, so, no, I didn't, I wasn't withholding anything because I didn't know what it was. And, and bizarrely with this book, I understand more about this book now a year after I finished writing it than I did when I finished writing it. Things keep coming to me from this book and I keep thinking, of course, that's what actually happened. The truth is just sort of percolating through me and I'm the person who wrote the book um, and it's taken me a year to work out what really happened in this wow. book. And it is all there. It is all there. So if you want me to talk you through it afterwards, I can tell you exactly what really happened. But I couldn't have told you when I finished writing the book. So when you were writing, how... How bef- how soon before the end did you know how it was going to finish then? I didn't. I mean, I really didn't. I it, it kind of petered out. My first draft, it all sort of petered out, as as often books in this genre can peter out and trickle away into, into nothing. And I knew I needed to bring it back. I knew I needed to bring the whole thing back. And there must be a surprise buried in this book somewhere that I could hit the reader with. And I rewrote the the last chapter, the epilogue, I think four times. And it was only on the fourth attempt. And they were completely different. Each of those four epilogues was completely different. Um, And it was only on the fourth attempt when, and this isn't a spoiler, uh, Josie's sitting on the bus and we're inside her head. And the things that are inside her head, um, I just suddenly thought, of course, of course that's what happened. So the one with the UFO landing. Yeah, that one. <laughs> you thought not. I thought no, no. That's yes, that's pushing it. <laughs> um, we let, tell us about the husbands. Yeah, we've got we've got a, a right pair of Bobby Dazzlers in this one. <laughs> yeah, the men, the men don't come out of this book. I don't think the women well. come out of it. Well, Alex, Alex is is a, but I think there's some shocking women in this book. Josie, not to mention her daughter Roxy. Um, uh, so yes, I think it, I, I think it's harsh to say that the men are get a particularly rough ride in this book. But these are not great husbands. Um, We've well, got... Nathan is useless. Well, well, Nathan's not useless. And this is what I wanted to look at was this idea that he's a brilliant provider. He goes out to work every day. He works incredibly hard. He brings all the money home. He pays for Alex's fancy recording studio um, and her beautiful wardrobe of clothes and is generous to a fault. He's present in his children's lives. Uh, he's he's affectionate, he's loving, he's a good husband, but he has this awful, awful propensity to go on benders. And it's a really interesting look at, uh, you know, not all drink problems are, are equal. Lots of There's lots of different ways of, of, being, of having a drink problem. And his problem is that 
on some occasions, every week, every two weeks, he'll go out for a pint and then Alex won't see him for two days and he'll turn his phone off and she doesn't know where he is and he's just gone completely yeah yeah so he's useless so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah but then he then he gives alex enough time of being nice normal nathan to to just think okay that was the thing that happened two weeks ago but it hasn't happened for two weeks and now look at him he's being really lovely and playing with the kids in the garden and so it's 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 an interesting so she's just caught in this place of like pros and cons shall i stay shall i leave shall i dump him shall i not um and the and the pros keep outweighing the cons for her um until a certain moment in this book. And then Walt, and Walter, who's Josie's other half. Yes. I mean, he's a creep. Walter, <laughs> so Walter is, yeah. So Walter is the man. Um, he's who, called Walter. He's yeah. called Walter. I knew that, but before I knew anything about this book, I knew that he was called Walter Fair. He was just Walter. And I'd seen this guy through a window in Kilburn. So he's the at, guy you were talking about earlier. Yes. And I saw him when I was walking the dog. Um, and this was before I thought of Josie or Alex. I knew I wanted to do this birthday twins thing and this letting the wrong person in thing, but I hadn't got any of my characters yet. And I saw this guy through a window um, and he ended up being Josie's husband, Walter, who does spend, in fact, most of this book, 90% of this book, sitting in the window staring at his laptop. I think he takes the dog out for a walk once <laughs> and he goes out for dinner once, but the rest of the time he's just sitting in the window. And Walter, we soon learn, having seen him as the first viewing of the, of him for the reader is at this um, birthday celebration when they're both in the same pub and we learn early on that he's quite a bit older mm -hmm. than Josie, who's 45. We don't realise quite how much older he is until the podcast starts evolving. And then um, we learn that he's actually 27 years older than her, which is a sizable age gap, but even more upsetting when you learn that they first met when she was 13 years old and he was 40. Um, so... Yes, yeah, so there's this awful, awful age disparity and this awful lingering sense that something horrible happened to her when she was a teenager involving Walter and now she's they're left in this awful, stultifying marriage where they just go through the motions and she hates him. She hates him and you're not really sure why she hates him. Did he groom her? Was he abusing her when she was a child? When did they actually get together? What sort of a father has he been to his children? Has he been abusive to her? Um, you don't really know. You just know that she hates him. And then you just have to slowly keep peeling back the pages to find out actually what happened. And then, of course, yeah, the nature of the book is even once she's told Alex the true nature of their marriage, you still don't know if it's true or not. Um, but yeah, Walter is, is kind of creepy. I think, yeah, I'm, I'm the same as you, Simon, in that I, I both of the husbands, I really judged. I just, well, you're and appalled. even I was absolutely appalled. And, and even when. You are, was, you are quite a judgy person. Yeah, I am very judgy, but um, mitigate, even with a mitigating factor, I was like, no, no not no. at all. I want to talk about um, uh, the public face. So we've already said that Alex and Josie come together because of this podcast that Alex does with uh, other women um, talking about, um, bluntly, how well life is going for them. And there are plenty of the number of podcasts I have cancelled on my feed because they've turned into, and now my life is fabulous. And let yeah. me tell you how fabulous my life is. Um, so it's, it's that sort of public face that we that we like to sort of uh, broadcast to the world. Also like Instagram, which appears to just yeah. be entirely, uh, look how fabulous and wonderful my breakfast is and the rest of my life and yeah. don't I look fabulous. Those kind of things. Uh, was that something that you wanted to explore in the book? Because it, it feels... 
that's the reason why Josie finds herself in in Alex's orbit is that she's like you know no I want to be like you yes. I want to have your life and I want to have the life that the women that you talk to have yes no absolutely and even and in the early stages of the book while Josie's um listening to all of Alex's podcasts she's obviously simultaneously going through Alex's social media feeds mm. and building up this picture and she describes the photograph she sees on on um, Alex's social media feed and this beautiful kitchen that's been carved out of the back of a Victorian terraced house with doors open onto this twinkling garden and the perfect little children and the and the you know, the fluffy the fluffy cat the very instagrammable cat and yeah so the whole thing just looks too good to be true and there's so I did really want to play with that and obviously we've got the big in your face aspect of of Alex's Instagram existence which is in the background she's got this husband who keeps disappearing on benders but there's also lovely little moments of um like what the slightly spoilerish but Josie does end up exploring Alex's house at certain points and uh, Alex never sweeps her kitchen floor so it's just covered in crumbs and bits of debris from from the meals and then she'll open Alex's fridge and find it's full of like junk food and sort of cheese strings and pepperamis and what have you and sort of every time it happens she's slightly taken aback because she truly believed the mirage that sort of curated image that we all give to the world yes yeah. Particularly, yeah, particularly, I think women, particularly women do that on social media of this perfect life. So you just see these little disintegrated moments of just like sort of puncturing that that ridiculous dream that people have that other people might be living perfect lives when, of course, literally nobody is. So when we're tearing through these pages, uh, trying to find out what happens next, the other thing that that you've written that you've put in here, which sort of gives us pause for thought is the Netflix documentary which has been made about this story at some stage in the future did that did you put that in afterwards or did you always know that you wanted to do that and what what purpose does it serve yeah no i i would i would i wish i was the sort of writer who could have such clever ideas before they've even sat down to write a book um of seeing it in my mind and and imagining how it would work structurally and everything because i never ever do i just have to find the structure has to come to me as i'm writing it and and the, in, in in the case of this book, I was relishing all these early chapters with these strange, unsettling moments and Josie's behaviour just sort of ramping up and up um, and just these tiny little cliffhanger moments at the end of books where Josie's just done something a bit weird. And I was really enjoying it, but it just suddenly hit me that it might not be enough to pull a reader through without some sort of sense of jeopardy or peril or, is you know, what's actually going on here? What the hell am I reading? So... And I've been watching a lot of those um, Netflix documentaries around the time that I was writing this book, those really weird ones about people making endlessly bad decisions and behaving horrifically. Um, Abducted in plain sight was one of those, you know, just think, you let that guy into your house. What were you thinking? You let that guy share a bed with your daughter. How did he persuade you that that was a good idea? And and so I had a lot of that going on in my head, that sort of, those Netflix shows where you get you binge watch them and get to the end and think, what the hell did I just watch? Who are these people? How do they exist in the same world that I exist in? Um, so I thought that might be a really nice way of breaking up the narrative, which was very intense and claustrophobic. So breaking it up, but also introducing the idea that you know, shit's going to start going down. At some point, really, really shocking things are going to start happening um, in this story between Josie and Alex. So I just introduced these occasional... Um, 
moments from a, a Netflix documentary that somebody had made about the events of 2019 when Josie and Alex did their podcast together. Um, so, and they're quite, they're very visual. I describe them very visually and they're very short. Um, and it's just somebody who crops up later on in the story coming back and giving their little take on what happened in 2019. It's, they sort of act as like a magnifying glass. Yeah. Like, a, um, the, I mean, we're pretty unsettled anyway for the reasons that you've explained about the way uh, that Josie is behaving, the little things that she takes. And then when we get to these little Netflix pics, you go, OK, this is that's not an insignificant moment. You know, you've written it for a reason yeah. because a few pages, a few chapters down the line, seriously bad stuff is going to happen. Yes. That is, so that's what their role is, because I think I would still have been freaked out without them. Yes, I think you would have, and I think a lot of readers would have enjoyed it, just being in the moment with those two characters. Um, but I just felt like, and that's the sort of fiction I love. I love that very spare sort of fiction when hardly anything's happening, but the things that are happening are just dark enough and resonant enough and, and worrying enough to just keep me gripped. But I just wanted more for other readers, I think, who who maybe want sort of more of the work done for them to and also it's just so hard to focus on reading these days I'm I've, I find it really hard to focus on reading um and I know a lot of people find it I think our, our focus has been splintered so much over the last few years um and smartphones don't help and um so yeah I, I just needed I, I wanted I really really wanted my readers to have the experience that you two had of just picking it up and and not being able to stop turning the pages till they got to the end and so that was my little sort of gift for them i think so that netflix device really worked for me yeah. and i think probably part of it was it reminded me of lockdown and how yeah. we were just devour i mean the sort of apotheosis of it was was um tiger king where everyone was just like have you seen this true crime documentary and that sort of got me onto the sort of the, the true that true crime genre which i have to say now I'm, I'm sort of turning a little bit away from but it is it's so seductive to go as you've already said, how, why on earth did you make that decision, yeah. knowing what's coming next? And but even when you don't know what's coming next, that's a really, really bad call. And I, I, it's interesting that sort of certainly with as far as podcasts are concerned, true crime podcasts, podcasts, the demographic for them is is mainly women yeah. um, who devour these these sort of true crime things. And I wondered whether that was that's something that you, I mean, is it has it been an obsession of yours, a sort of true crime thing? And and also, we did you have that in your mind as you were as you were writing this? What the fact that there were lots of people who no, it really wasn't. I mean, it, it probably looks like quite a commercially minded decision, but it really wasn't. I wasn't thinking about the fact that I was thinking about the fact that I'd enjoyed watching a lot of Netflix documentaries, and I don't listen to podcasts. Um, sorry, no, no offense. To you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> I rarely, rarely listen to podcasts. The only juncture in my life where I ever actively listen to a podcast is when I do my yearly book signings, when I have to go to my publishers for the day and all I do is sign books um, and therefore I can't look at anything else. So I just, and so, and so I have listened to some great podcasts that way, but they're not part of the fabric of my life. I'm not obsessed with podcasts. I'm not obsessed with true crime, actually. Um, so I wasn't actively thinking about, whoa, there's a great market out here. Out oh, there's there a two sort of you absolutely nail those genres, both the podcasts and the true crime in this book. So for something that you don't really consume, you've absolutely nailed how they sound. Well, I just think, I just think most writers have to be very, very, very effective absorbers of things you have to be really efficient you have to like if it's out there and you've noticed it you have to 
get it through your system really quickly to work out what it is. See if it's something interesting that you'd like to write about one day um, or put it on the back burner. And yeah, you you just you I, and I'm not a great researcher of things. So I like to write about things that are very immediate to me that I know that I can just jump in, start talking about it, start, you know, involving my characters in the world of it without having to do any research. So that was just there. It was already there. Is this your title? It is my... It wasn't my working title. Uh, my working title... I can't even remember what my working title was, but this came after lots of brainstorming and and it was mine, and I'm very pleased with it. Because titles are so important because yeah. it means that you start on the first page. I mean, we know what you write and we're looking at the title. We've got the image, you know, we've got the image of the front cover, but we're already on edge because none of this is true. And yeah. I just want, because it says none of this is true and then underneath her lies could kill you. Yeah. That you are steering us in a direction immediately. And I've had this conversation on another podcast that you don't listen to, the <laughs> to a film podcast. There are sometimes posters give away what's going to happen. Sometimes the title gives you away. So, for example, very fantastically successful film, Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. So the point is, there's a lot of slumdog, but you get to the millionaire. You know, it says, slum, he's the millionaire. You know, Shawshank Redemption. There's a redemption, you know, at the end. And you are, you're giving us so much information on, on the cover. And obviously that's what you want it to be. But how do you draw the line between having a really cool title and then kind of, a deliberate steers. Yeah, well, I, and in fact, I think this is as close as I've got to the edge of crossing that line into giving the reader too much, too much to to, to work with before they've sat down to to read the book. My my titles are usually much more sort of elusive than that and sort of slightly meaningless. But yeah. <laughs> um, whereas this is very very apt and and tells a reader a lot about what they're they're getting into before they start reading. Um, but yes, usually I, I don't usually have to worry too much about that. And this one, I think, I think I'm the right side of the line. I think this is just enough. And it's not, <laughs> it sounds funny, it's not entirely true because some of this is true. No, exactly. And so, I can tell you at the end of this podcast what, what is true and what is not if you're interested. Um, but um, yeah, so some of this is true. So it's slightly sort of... Well, you, you mean, so you're going to tell us... Once we've, stopped Once we've stopped recording. What actually happened? Yeah. Yeah, I can tell you now because I finally know. <laughs> right. So when you finished the story, the story wasn't finished. It, it kept on telling itself. Yeah, exactly. It was. It's finished. I don't want anybody to like be put off picking up the book because they think it's going to be sparse and they're going to feel unsatisfied at the end of it because it's all there. I mean, mm. the story is there. It's just me. I, everything that I needed... To, that the reader needs to know to know the truth is in there. But it's just, you sort of have to know, oh, this sounds very complicated. You kind of have to know what the truth is to know how it works. Okay. And, and the sorry, only person I'm, who I'm, knows that is you, I'm guessing. Yeah. Who knows that is what and I the, do. The, I do. The big word there is no. I actually do know it. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll have that private conversation, yeah, yeah. we'll <laughs> which we will secretly record. <laughs> yeah. But because you don't listen to podcasts, you'll be fine. I'll yeah. never know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll never know the yeah. fact that we're actually going to put it out. You've um, you've said that you've writ you wrote this book faster than any other. Yeah. Book. I think it's March to September, and speaking of someone who takes two years to write a book, yeah. I, I you know. Apart from the you know seething jealousy, uh, there what 
why? What was it about this story that was so quick? Yeah, I think I think there were a couple of things at play. First of all was the fact that the book that I wrote before this, which was called The Family Remains, is one of the most complicated books I've ever written. Uh, there were four different storylines. There were two different timelines. They were in different time zones around the world. Um, and it was, yeah, it, it was a big job keeping that all under control. And I'd already decided before I finished writing The Family Remains. I really enjoyed writing it, but it was a lot that my next book would be a smaller canvas and I was going to pare it down a bit and make it look a bit more manageable, um, which I think immediately may, meant that it would be a quicker book to write because it would be sort of, yeah, just it would do a lot of the work for itself. Um, but I also had um, agreed to undertake a second book with a different publisher as well in January. So I started writing this in May 2022, but in January 2022, I had... Um, undertaken a, an extra novel under commission with a different publisher who also needed the book in the same time frame. So I knew I had to write two books in a year. Goodness me. Yeah. God, heavens above. And so I knew that I didn't have the luxury of time. And um, I, I am a very disciplined writer when I need to be. When I don't need to be, then I'm not. <laughs> so I just cut out the whole bit of my writing year where I'm not being a disciplined writer and just jumped straight in as if it was my deadline approaching. And I only, yeah, which I, essentially, I suppose it was. So I just started writing 2,000 words a day from the get-go. Um, and because of the simple, very simple structure of the book, that was I was able to do that. When I sat down to write the second book of the year, which had a much less simple construction. Um, yeah, I didn't. It's it's uh, if it makes you feel any better, I've absolutely cocked it up to a huge extent, and I'm now Excellent. rewriting <laughs> now, now rewriting it for the fourth time, and it's still I don't know if it's ever going to be. Um, so when you say you're rewriting, does that mean you're start? That doesn't mean you're starting again. Oh, does it? oh, it's more than edits. It's not just an edit. It's much more than an edit. It's absolutely rethinking everything. And and basically every time I rewrite it, <laughs> it's you know that question you ask yourself when you're writing a book. You're like, what is this book? And you think you found the answer, and you and then that's when everything falls into place. Like I've just realised what this book is that I'm writing, and then that's when that's when the fun really starts. Um, and I've done that three times now. I thought, oh, right, now I know what this book is. OK, so it's about this. And then I've rewritten it. And no, not entirely from scratch, but I've got an awful lot of cut. I've got 52,000 words of, of, word, of words that I've cut out of it. Wow. And now I'm about to do the fourth rewrite, which you need, is I think you need, again. I think you need better coffee. That's... <laughs> do you think that's where I'm yeah. going wrong? Does it? OK, so having that... so. That's interesting. So you've got two different experiences. This where you it was a ferocious read straight through March to September. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Then this other book, which you're, you know, which has been more it should of have a been struggle. finished in April. Yes. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, and and clearly isn't. Yes. <laughs> and is about to get some more. Do, when you have a bad experience, does that make you think next time I'm going to plan or? Do, I used to because every book is a different experience and I have had that in the in the earlier years of my career. I think this all went wrong because I don't plan and I'm a, I'm a stupid writer and if I was a clever writer, I'd write with a plan and then this wouldn't happen again. And at some point about 10 books ago, I just realised that I can't, I can't do it. I can't put bits of a book anywhere on a piece of paper, on a whiteboard, on a post-it note, in a notebook. I can't put bits of the book that's in my head anywhere apart from on the screen, in the book. I can't do it. I just can't. 
Um, so I've just given up on that and have just realised that sometimes it's going to work in my favour, as it as was the case with none of this is true, and sometimes it's just going to work against me, and that's my own tough luck. Um, and I just have to just keep doing the work. Required. So the book, the book that was due in April. Yeah. We're speaking now in July, moving yeah. into August. When do you think that's going <sighs> to? Well, they've got the copy editor booked in for September. Okay. No, I'm going to forget that. It's still got to have a line edit. Um, And just explain what the difference is. Okay, so there's a structural edit, which is when you send your manuscript to your editor and they say, here's everything that's wrong with it um, and here's the the bits that you could do to fix what's structurally wrong with it. Once you've fixed that, which... um, hopefully one day I will with this book it then goes for a line edit and that's very much like you've you know you could tighten this chapter up a little bit or you could inject a little bit more passion into this character's reaction to this announcement um and then it goes for the copy edit which is you've used the same word twice in the same paragraph your timeline's all skewed here she had green eyes she had green eyes in chapter four and now they're blue yeah so those are the three main stages and I'm yeah supposed to be going for a copy edit in September but I think I'm going to have to ask them to let's, push it back. Let's go for Christmas, shall we? <laughs> I think so. Let's, yes. Okay, well I know you won't listen but will you come back and talk about that book when when that comes? I think I if you, if you would like to talk to me about it, I would love to talk to you about it because not only um, it's, it's in a completely different genre and it's a really fun genre and it's something that you you could get your teeth into it as a, as a concept. I'm not allowed to talk about it yet because it's not been announced officially. Not even the genre. You can't tell us the genre. Comedy? Definitely not comedy. Sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. It's a bit Black Mirror-ish. I've taken a bit of a Black Mirror-ish stance um, to, to, to how I've done sci-fi because I'm not really a sci-fi person. So I've gone for that tiny, slightly dystopian couple of years in the future sort of thing. What's it called? At the moment, working title is perfect, but it won't be called that. If I could see your publicist's face, I'm not. I'm deliberately not looking at your publicist. <laughs> well, she. I. I don't think I've given anything away. Okay. I think it's. It's a huge, huge deal, um, and I've not alluded in any way no. to what the, the magnitude of the deal of the thing. I've just told you a little. How big bit. is the deal of the thing? It's a big, big deal. Of, <laughs> it's big a deal. big, big deal of a big, big thing. <laughs> but for the moment, let we, we, there will be other times when we can talk about that. But for the moment, we're talking about None of This Is True by Lisa Jewell, uh, which is out now. Uh, there will be some more with Lisa because we do, we'll do uh, another podcast with our Q&A uh, with Lisa, which will be with you uh, in a few days' time. But for the moment, Lisa Jewell, thank you very much. Thank you.